On behalf of Archer and Kerasoft, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast, focusing on why government agencies need to understand the risk third-party providers present and why it's critically important to have impactful controls in place to manage risk. Thanks a lot. Uh, yes, my name is Mike Hurt. I'm the VP of Federal for Palo Alto Networks, and I'm excited to uh, be here today. Uh, thanks for Kerasoft for sponsoring this. Uh, the title of our session today is uh, third-party risk management, strength, strength or weakest link. And so what we're going to be focusing on today is uh, needing to understand the risk of third-party providers that they present, why it's critically important to have impactful controls in place in order to manage the risk with acceptable boundaries. And so we have uh, our esteemed panel here. Uh, we have John Boyens, Deputy Chief of Computer um, Security Division at NIST. So thank you, John. Then we have uh, Nancy Ranowski, she is the Texas CISO. So thank you, Nancy, for joining us. And we have Michelle Iverson, Director of Supply Chain Risk Management and Risk Assessment and Operational Integration for the DOD. And so uh, thank you all for uh, joining us here today. You, you got us started so we can clap for them. I mean, they are volunteering their time here. So um, now in an effort to not just immediately go into supply chain discussion, it'd probably be good to kind of get to know our panelists a little bit here. So I have a question that I kind of sprung on them a little bit before we before we walked up on the stage here. And so the question is, and I'll go first, because I know I sprung this on you, is if you weren't doing this as a supply chain expert, what would you be doing? So for me, I coached a lot of baseball. I have three three kids, and I coached a lot of baseball over the last 15 years. And so I would have probably been a coach because I think I did that for free. I would actually have liked to have gotten paid for that uh, over the last 15 years. And so I think I would have been a paid coach as opposed to an unpaid coach. So, John, how about you? What would you, uh, what would you be if you weren't doing this? I have to say that's a tough, tough one because I'd likely be home-like research and supply chain risk management. Okay. Uh, okay. No, 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 no. But, but I have to say I thought about it and I'm like, you know, I'm gearing up for the, the big game tonight hockey so i'd probably be at home uh down in my basement face painting putting paint all over my body getting ready to cheer for the avalanche who are going to be the next stanley cup champions okay i was going to ask about the nba uh finals but i didn't want to have a war here in uh, san francisco so you you started one with the hockey anyway all right so michelle what what, you, what would you be doing um well, and you, since you did spring it on me and most of the people, some of the people I work with, they know, uh, if I was not doing what I'm doing now for DOD CIO, I'd be running a tiki bar somewhere. Now, my family wants to retire in Tucson, which makes tiki bars a little harder, but we'll work on it. <laughs> you can you can open a tiki bar anywhere. Yes, it, 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 it works. So, um, all right, uh, Nancy, how about you? And, and Nancy was the one that gave me this question. So I'm expecting an amazing answer here, Nancy. I think I would have a, a several Airbnbs in Hawaii that I would, um, I know, you know, we're, we're, we're together. Yeah. So that's okay. what I'd be doing. So you'd be a uh, Airbnb uh, landlord is yeah. what you're saying. Okay. All right. All right. Well, very good. So thanks for uh, uh, giving us a little bit about yourself there. I guess my first question is, there's been a lot of focus over the last couple of years on supply chain. And I think with the pandemic and everything, I've probably heard the word supply chain more than I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, and so obviously supply chain attacks and threats have been happening over the last several years. My question is, is that a new threat? 
from your perspective? And if it's not, why is there so much focus or why has so much focus been put on it over the last couple of years? So panelists, open to all of you. I can start. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a threat for forever. Um, I would say that some of the major incidents such as solar winds has brought it to the attention of our bosses. And so that's helped us be able to put more emphasis on it. Okay, John, you wanted to reply? Yeah, I, I agree. It's been been around for a while. I think in the in the government, we initially kicked it off in 2008 with the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative Number 11, uh, and it's been uh, two steps forward, three steps back, quite often. Uh, I think because it is a very very hard cross domain issue, and uh, if it's not solved immediately, if that silver bullet doesn't turn into fruition it's off, often shoved aside until the next incident. And so I think just over the last two or three years, we've had sustained media attention to what has been going on for a very long time. Okay. Okay, Michelle, did you have anything to add? Uh, yeah, I would agree with what my, my partners up here said. Um, it has been ongoing for a while. I actually made fun of a friend who got tasked to do supply chain risk management in 2008. Um, and now look where I am. So, um, but uh, I do find it very interesting and fascinating. And, and I don't mean it pejorative, but I think there's been a lot of really good academic analysis and, and rigor that's gone into the, the field. But it wasn't until recently with some of the more recent attacks, uh, whether you go back to solar winds or what's happening with Log4j, that it's really pushed that need to operationalize this mission space. And so now it really is, how do you take it from that theoretical and things that we've been talking about and building policies and, and discussing, we've been discussing SBOMs for a long time. And now we'll talk about it, I'm sure, um, you know, we're, we're kind of being forced to put that into practice because it is that operational need that has manifested more recently. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, so when we think about the supply chain and we think about, uh, you know, a lot of times I know what pops into my head is sort of country of origin. You know, that's, you know, kind of what, what ends up happening there. Um, but can you tell us a little about this area beyond country of origin and, and where there is a concern? What are the things that you have to be thinking about outside of just country of origin? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to start. Um, so provenance and country of origin is important, but so we look at, and it's not just important for like company ownership. We are looking at where's the software being made? Where's it being tested? So there's lots of aspects of what is country of origin, what is provenance. Um, but we also want to make sure that we understand, um, you know, uh, what's the cybersecurity of our suppliers, right? So many in this room have probably heard us talk about CMMC and things like that. So we're looking at the, the cybersecurity of our suppliers, but we're also looking at the products uh, coming from our suppliers. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, when I think of supply chain risk management, I'm looking at how an adversary might attack my supply chain, which is kind of a solar winds thing. Um, and then, and when the adversary becomes my supply chain, which as most of you know, the uh, US government has banned Kaspersky as an, uh, as an example. So mostly because, you know, when you start to look at 
um, is the supply chain coming from Russia, um, what their SORM laws are, what their foreign intelligence laws are. So um, just understanding that. So when you're making risk decisions about whether um, you know, they can be a cyber threat because they're attacking my supply chain or they are my supply chain. Okay, anybody else want to add? Yeah, also at least from, and at least from the civilian side, uh, the foreign ownership control influence is an, an issue and something to focus on during a risk assessment, but it's not the sole thing. And so uh, we have reaped the rewards of innovation in the global economy and supply chains are global. And particularly when you get into you know, software issues, uh, it's very difficult to know who has touched what along the supply chain path. Uh, it's also difficult to know in terms of foreign ownership, right? So is, is it more secure to have a U.S. company operating in an adversarial environment with U.S. employees or a foreign company operating in the U.S. with U.S. employees? I mean, it gets very complicated very quickly. Ownership in the supply in a global economy becomes very complicated very quickly with mergers and acquisitions. So we have tended to focus a lot on standards. We're, you know, NIST. So we, we focus on standards and practices and supply chain risk management practices specifically to increase that level of insurance, assurance. Thank you, John. Nancy, do you have anything? Um, yeah, the only thing I'd, I'd add is, um, you know, we all heard about Target and their HVAC vendor back whenever it was. Um, we've had two schools that have had ransomware that came through their HVAC vendors in the last two years. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily um, who you're, you know, what you're buying, but but also who you're connecting to and how they're getting into your, your systems. And just having an overall understanding of the risks, the connections, um, all of that is, is important as well. And if I could, yeah. kind of playing off, off of that is, you know, one of the things that DOD has really spent a lot of time in the last several years is how do we better understand our supply chain um, from tiers one through tier N, because you can't defend what you don't know. So, and even like the pandemic, right? Um, we needed to know who's our contacts, right? who'd we come in contact with? So it isn't just our primary suppliers, it's our secondary and tertiary on down the line. And having that visibility, and that's some of the key capabilities that we've been looking at over the last three years, is how do we get that visibility? And then once we have that visibility, because there are sometimes within that uh, tiered supply chain, in some cases we can mitigate the risk by uh, choosing a different supplier, and sometimes that's just not possible. And so we are also looking at capabilities that give us uh, more insight when we'll talk about uh, software bill materials, but more insight to who that supplier is, uh, maybe looking at runtime application protocols that'll help us understand uh, any risks coming from maybe a higher risk supplier that's in my my ecosystem. Yeah, I think that, that that's actually leads me kind of to the to next question is like, when you're thinking about assessing the risk and you're an agency and you're trying to figure out what your supply chain risk is. You mentioned some of the things that you're doing and sort of recommending to the rest of the panel. What, what are those, uh, what are those, the first things an organization should really do to kind of hunker down and understand 
the supply chain risk? Um, I'll say it's a, the basic risk management, right? It's the, it's the big K, the no. So know your critical systems that support your critical functions. Uh, know the critical components inside that system. And that's internally, then go externally. Who are the, the suppliers that provide those critical products or services? And, and that is where, since it is, you know, you wanna put your greatest resources and rigor towards those critical components. I think that's a, the first step to take. Okay. Nancy, did you have anything to add? Uh, it, uh, same. Same, okay. <laughs> well, actually, Nancy, uh, when we talk about the state of Texas and, uh, you know, what are, what are, what's the state of Texas doing as it relates to supply chain security that you kind of wanted to share with the audience? So, you know, I can, I can take this from a couple of, of angles. Um, we run a cooperative contracts program and all state agencies are required to um, purchase off of that program. So we have over 700 contracts. Um, a lot of those are with um, resellers. So it kind of trickles down from there. Um, one of the things that happened during our last session was that a bill was passed that every agency has to have um, security in their contracts, which hasn't been in the past. So, um, and, and then trying to figure out um, how to deal with um, vendors or products that um, may not be good to purchase and you know, you hear about it in the media, you hear about it all over. So we're kind of following what the federal government's doing in that regard. Um, we don't have a vehicle for um, taking things off a contract. So we, for, for right now, um, we just request vendors to take it off the contract. Um, we're, we're moving more towards, and I think there'll be some recommendations for our next legislature to put a more systematic process in place for that. Uh, another area is, is cloud computing, and um, there's a lot of movement to the cloud. Um, Senate Bill 475 last session um, required our office to stand up a risk authorization and management program, and um, which is very important in terms of supply chain. Um, the NIST guidance basically says, you know, cloud service providers are part of your supply chain. You know, you can look to FedRAMP and then other other areas. Um, we we don't have the we don't have the beauty of every vendor that comes to us can be a FedRAMP um, product because not every vendor that sells to the state is going to sell to the federal government. Um, so over we got six months that we had to put this program in place. Um, which essentially all we're asking our vendors to do is follow the same security controls that we require of state agencies. So um, that was a major project, it still is a major project and a big step in terms of cloud computing in Texas. Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, what you're doing in Texas there. It sounds like a, a, lot, of, a lot of work on your plate there. So uh, John, question for you, obviously, uh, 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 Mr. Jerusha was just talking about the executive order and uh, NIST had quite a few things to do inside of that executive order and in regards to improving national security. So can you tell me about some of the work and how it relates to cybersecurity risk and supply chains that you're working on? 
Sure. And uh, I'll, I'll do my, he left, right? I can contradict. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no it, it was an executive order like I've never seen before. I think 75 plus different deliverables throughout the year. Uh, so it was a big one. NIST had section four, which is really securing the soft, uh, the software supply chain. And uh, had a number of tasks. One, uh, I think we started off, we had to define critical software, which is not really the NIST approach. So we had a couple of calls where we scratched our head and said, how are we gonna do this? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we like to contextualize risk. And so what ended up happening is actually a really good thing because we actually came to buy into the concept. We term it EO critical, but when you go into acquisitions, you know, it's good to know different types of software and the impact that they can have on other technology. And that's kind of the approach we took with that. We were asked to develop uh, security measures um, for that, for uh, EO critical software. We did that. Um, we were asked to uh, write initial preliminary supply chain risk management guidance. We did that. The key one that is of interest because it goes beyond just EO critical software is section 4E, which gets down into how software is developed. And so we utilized what we had already been working on and developed a secure software development framework, which is now a special publication 800218. And that is for software developers. This is the first time we've kind of went upstream into the supply chain to offer guidance like that. Uh, also part of 4E is to uh, uh, provide similar guidance to uh, federal departments and agencies when they're procuring software to require that suppliers uh, attest to uh, implementing those secure software development framework practices. So right now we have released both of those. What were what the next steps I think are for um, OMB to come out with a policy memo. And then uh, a little further on, because I believe that's probably going to be a stopgap measure, but then move into a federal ac uh, acquisition regulation, which is, is going to be a little bit more permanent. So those things are things to be watching in the future. Now, just to follow up on that, I think some people would say uh, sort of the NIST guidelines are complicated and uh, potentially long. So what, what advice would you provide these organizations when kind of going through that? I've never heard that NIST guidance is long. Or, or <laughs> no, all right, next question. <laughs> uh, so the framework, I mean, we, we've helped develop the cybersecurity framework. Similar to that, it adds flexibility. It is a framework that has different kind of um, outcome-based tasks in it. And then those point to different informative references, different guidelines, different standards that help a, a user kind of make sense. So it does offer the flexibility for organizations to use many different types of practices when they're trying to implement it. Okay. Michelle, executive order. All right. Uh, SBOM, you and I have talked about it. Um, what does DOD, you know, how does DOD see the value of the executive order and what are the actions are you taking relative to SBOMs? Um, so we, we absolutely think the executive order is very helpful. Um, one of them being the, 
the development in the pursuit of software bill of materials. It is not going to be a panacea, we know that. However, um, when take log4j for instance, um, just finding out where log4j is in your software builds is, is very problematic. It's taken us days, months, years really to identify where it is and where we're at risk. And it was in so much, right? So being able to have that software bill of materials will start to help us understand what code modules are there, whether it's uh, a fit for purpose type of code or, you know, because even COTS products have a lot of open source modules in them. Uh, We're seeing more and more, there is an article in one of the tech uh, magazines, um, how a software developer, uh, in protest to Russia, went and changed something in his module. So if there was an IP related to a Russian domain that it would basically brick the computer. So not only do we have to now start worrying about our adversaries, we have to, you know, we've always worried about hacktivists, but it's even getting, now we're into software development. So the software bill material, knowing where these modules are in our code will be instrumental. It'll help us identify when code is outdated, uh, not not up to date or patched. Um, so I think it's it, it's critically important for that. Um, and if you don't mind, I no, keep going. Yeah. Other things, you know, yeah. the other thing just to kind of highlight um, the time for supply chain risk management is not just at your time of acquisition. It is a life cycle thing. Mergers and acquisitions happen all the time. Things are changing your supply chain. We've had suppliers, U.S. suppliers, who decided, oh, it's cheaper to outsource to a country like Russia who does have SORM laws, who has foreign intelligence laws that require them to work with their, uh, requires companies there to work with their foreign intelligence. So we have to understand all of that within our supply chain and it's a very dynamic environment. So you need continuous monitoring uh, to be able to do that. And then that's the same with software. Software is continually updated. So how do you do that? It's not an e it's not easy either, especially when you get to cloud and trying to do software bill materials there. But the critical software definition that's coming out of uh, 14028 also really really helps um, because uh, especially in my world, everybody wants to go to programs of record and critical items. Um, but how many of those programs of record are choosing their backup software, their network management software to be critical items? But everybody's got it, right? And we have US suppliers who, again, are outsourcing into countries of concern. So that's why we, we have to really understand what our supply chain is and, uh, and, and find out where our critical software is that runs as root or has critical dependencies so that we can make smarter choices. Yeah, Michelle, yeah, I, uh, that's great. I think uh, you kind of went into, you know, for the rest of the panelists, I mean, you're talking about continuously monitoring and just really kind of being proactive, essentially. Nancy. I have a, I have a question. Okay. All right. Yeah. So um, I think I'm supposed to answer all the questions. <laughs> oh, hold on. Hey. All right. Go I'm ahead. Go ahead. All right. All right. Um, Michelle, if I wanted to set up a program similar in Texas, mm -hmm. what would be the impediments that you could see? What, um, I mean, you're DOD, so. Right. You're um, the boss, but um. <laughs> yes. I ask any of my colleagues, I'm the boss. No, I'm the <laughs> um, my boss is back there. He's laughing. Does your boss know that you like tiki bars? <laughs> he does. Okay, okay. He does. Right. We just came from Hawaii. Okay, all right. So he's um, been at uh, quite a few. Um, yeah. Well, so what are the impediments? Uh, you know, I think contracting is hard. 
no matter what we do. And it's there's a change in how we write our contracts also. Um, attestation is good. How do you trust but verify? Um, so I think really working on contract language and we've done some work in that, happy to share. Right. Um, and so good contract language. Um, I think even when you start to do, well, um, incident response, uh, you know, we're, we're doing everything from the CIO has the authority of saying there's risk taking something off the network because of risk to the network. Um, but we also are looking at, at bigger at how do we just say within the US government, we're not going to buy certain uh, products because of the software provenance or hardware provenance. And we've talked about software build materials, but it, there's also working groups in our uh, commercial public private partnerships for hardware build materials as well. It's a hard problem. Um, so I'd say uh, just the, the one other thing, information sharing, because the minute I tell you I'm looking at ACME for some supply chain issues, ACME is usually calling me saying, hey, I'm a good guy. And I'm like, yes, but why are you doing, you know, development in a, a place where they have a big hacking program and their laws say they have to work with their foreign intelligence service. So that's, those are gonna be my two questions back when you come and say, I'm not a bad guy. I'm like, well, I just have to manage my risk. So thank you, thank you. And thanks for asking the question. Um, and so we're, we're kind of getting down here to the, to the end. I'll kind of give you guys any last- uh, well, we'll yeah. pontificate yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with lots of platitudes. Uh, separately on the S-bomb thing, I'm just going to say that a lot more needs, it's, it's not a silver bullet, Vulnerability management, there's a lot of other things that need to go in there. Uh, S-bombs is a sexy word right now. It is key, but there's a lot of other things that need to go into it. My pontification is just after watching, uh, you know, I'm gray now when I started out, I wasn't. The, the changes that have been going on have been incremental. Supplies, suppliers, so your question is, why do they still do this? And, and that's changing. The reason why they're doing it is because they've until now been able to pass on the risk downstream until the, the customers, right? And with, without any sort of penalty or anything else, that's changing, right? Because now the customers, and that has to do with the EO, the way the government is trying to use their soft procurement hammer is not going to accept that risk anymore. So things need to change up the supply chain. And then second, the relationship between uh, suppliers and acquirers are changing, particularly in technology. It's no longer selling a toaster with a six month warranty, right? So when there's vulnerabilities, that relationship still has to be ongoing. It's, it's not one and done. It's a constantly evolving relationship. Even if you have an S-bomb, even if you have a log4j, you're still gonna have to work with them to figure out how to mitigate those solutions. So it's an ongoing relationship. Okay, thank you, John. Nancy, any last words from you? Okay, well, we, uh, I just wanted to thank this uh, lively panel uh, for uh, volunteering your time to, to do this. Uh, Kevin, do we have time to take a question from the audience or? Okay, two questions, all right. Yeah, yeah, next panel, why don't you make your way up over to the uh, table here and start getting uh, mic'd up. Yep, no problem.
Yeah, just for the benefit of folks on the online here. So MSPs, you know, how, how are you evaluating those MSPs and how they're being attacked essentially um, to get into to get into your your environments? I, I can take Okay, that. all right. Nancy. Um, so at the state level, you know, we we do thorough evaluations and we have liability clauses that help. Um, where where we're in a world of hurt is with the local governments because we don't have any visibility or oversight um, over local governments. And in August of 2019, we had 23 local governments that were impacted by ransomware. We looked at that contract that that MSP had. Um, it was one page that protected the MSP, but not the local governments. And so um, now we just have roadshows. We go out. I have a team that's totally de dedicated to sharing and training and working with local governments. But again, I have no authority or, or oversight. Um, the other thing is, you know, our, our legislature, we're very fortunate that that they they back like the particular bill that um, put text ramp into place um, passed with 100% um, yays, zero nays. Um, they're they're very focused right now on local governments and what we can do to help them. So um, it's going to be a long process to get there because you know I'm from Rootin' Tootin', Texas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but it is something that's top of mind and something that that we're trying to do through training. Okay. Here's a question. Phil. I just had a follow up to that one. Just lost any defense in depth as you moved up to the cloud when it comes to supply chain. It, it's kind of a follow on to this question because I'll give you an example. Uh, sorry to pick on Microsoft. You're moving a lot of email and go through systems. This is probably one of the biggest uh, actors uh, into the data that's in the government. But you're also asking them to build a protection for that cloud. Um, I, I will say, you know, one uh, from a supply chain, you know, it's it's you know, making sure cybersecurity, we can't make everything cybersecurity supply chain or nothing is supply chain. Um, so um, with that, but so I think it's a zero trust thing that you can go back to, to add into that. But do we need our, um, you know, we do need our suppliers to uh, build secure systems, maintain secure systems. When we go to the cloud, it usually is there are provider controls, but there are uh, customer controls and there are hybrid controls and making sure that you're managing those gaps in between them. Uh, no easy answers. I, I would just add, uh, again, with that criticality analysis, uh, you don't put your crown jewels in the cloud. And, is... and, and we, we, put, uh, we put up a, a public cloud manager so that we have somebody um, that helps our agencies with their move to the cloud, and it shifts a lot of um, it shifts a lot of that oversight to both uh, our SOC and um, and to our public cloud manager, so that that they have some assurances that that 
their journey to the cloud will be secure. Thank you for listening to our Public Sector Day at RSA Conference podcast. If you'd like more information on how we can assist your organization with cybersecurity needs, please visit www.carasoft.com slash cybersecurity or email us at rsa at Thanks for listening.